This is Jewish Board Talk with Sharif Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. Hervey Road stemmed from a line of generations of mill and textile workers who suffered hardships, struggled to find employment, and time seemed to be wanted by no one. And yet, he was destined to join the ranks of the most noble order of the Garter. So says his grandson, Adam Sattler, in the introduction to a book entitled Appear from Nowhere, which includes his grandfather's recollection of his early life. Perhaps it was Herbie's feeling of not being wanted that led him to adopt Hal Gazelt, a young girl from the Kinder Transport. Adam Sattler joins me now to tell me more. Adam, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Uh, not at all. I'm delighted. Do you think it was that feeling of not being wanted that led your grandfather, Lord Rhodes, to adopt a child from the Kinder Transport? Certainly. I think my grandfather often felt a bit of an outsider and he had great sympathy for outsiders and people who weren't being welcomed in. And I think he felt that when he was a working child himself, he and his father were made unemployed. They failed to find employment at a time of great hardship for the family. But also during the First World War, he was an outsider in the sense that he joined as a private, but his battalion suffered hugely. Everybody he formed a bond with was killed. He said, the battalion died around me. And I'm sure he must have felt a survivor's guilt because of that. He managed to escape the trenches by being identified as somebody with real spark and imagination and intelligence. And although he'd had no education, he was sent from the Somme, having been through the Somme over the 161 days or however many terrible days of warfare in trenches. He was sent from there, John's College, Cambridge, to train as an officer. What a place. I mean, he had been brought up in a working class community and had never seen anything smarter than a Sunday school. And suddenly he was pitched in with the trainee officers who mostly came from very privileged backgrounds. So he was an outsider there. He did very well indeed and became an airman. He joined uh, the Royal Flying Corps as it was then. But all the officers in the Royal Flying Corps, they came from upper class and middle class backgrounds. He was a, a, a working class man. So he didn't fit in there. He teamed up very successfully with a pilot from South Africa. And they had a, a very successful record. But during that record, which was fighting German fighter planes, and he was in a sort of slow patrol aircraft that took photographs, and it wasn't designed to fight. During that, they had a number of successes where he, they shot down, and particularly my grandfather, because he was the gunner, shot down a German aircraft. He witnessed, and he had one moment where his eyes met the airman, the German airman whose plane he just shot to pieces, circled round as it was about to dive to the ground. Their eyes met. And 70 years later, he would wake with a nightmare, a cold sweat. He had been responsible for this young man's death. And I think this continued through his life. He was always a bit of an outsider and had huge sympathy for the person who was in that situation. 
Um, his decision to take in Helga was not discussed with the family. It must, must have come as quite a surprise to his wife and possibly your mum and uh, other auntie. Well, certainly my mum was very young. He and his wife, Anne, my grandmother, had two daughters and they were slightly younger than Helga was when Helga came to the UK aged 13. Uh, Pam was 12 and my mother would have been um, nine going on 10. And they had also taken into the family uh, another daughter, if, if I can say as much, who, who was actually the daughter of my grandfather's brother who died of cancer. And my grandfather was a very impetuous person. He saw something that needed doing. He went straight in there and would try and tackle it. And when he learned that the Red Cross were looking for households to house kinder transport, I'm sure my grandfather had no hesitation. My grandmother had become well used to my grandfather just sort of turning up with random guests who were going to stay for the weekend. Uh, my grandfather was a sort of socializing genius, you could say. He would meet somebody on the train. He would learn their story. He would invite them to come and stay the weekend. So suddenly my grandmother wouldn't know how many people she would have to look after uh, at the weekend. And rather a, a sort of permanent change of state of affairs was Helga. Helga and my grandfather certainly bonded in a very close way. And my grandmother just took it on as a sort of extra task as part of her role. She was quite a strong, independent woman in her own right. Um, but she, she certainly was very hardworking and, you know, an extra member of the family. There you are. Adam, when you grew up, you, you kind of thought maybe all, you know, young English boys had a Jewish auntie. It didn't seem strange to you at all that Helga wasn't necessarily bloodline? No, it didn't seem strange. I had uh, two aunts. I had an American aunt and I had a Jewish aunt. So it didn't seem any more strange to me that, um, you know, one was American. I mean, that was quite strange in a way, and I suppose it was slightly strange. But my best friend at school was Jewish, and there were, in my class of 30, I think there were four or five boys who had Jewish surnames whose parents had fled continental Europe, Poland, or Germany. Um, it seemed to be fairly commonplace to the community that I was in. Well, actually, not commonplace in Saddleworth, because that was quite a, quite a countryside place. Uh, I went to school in Oldham, which was obviously an urban centre. And within Oldham and Manchester, I was conscious there was a Jewish community. And having a Jewish aunt in Saddleworth, that was certainly a bit odd. But um, I, I just took it as, um, you know, she's my aunt who happens to be Jewish. The relationship between your mum and your two aunts, um, it could not have been easy for her as a young child to suddenly have a, an older sister imposed. No, I think my mother was nine when she arrived and um, her sister was 11. Now, her sister, my auntie Pam, uh, who's still alive and still is my American aunt, she was a more independent uh, character she wanted to stretch her wings. She got on with Helga. They were similar age. And I, I don't think uh, my Auntie Pam thought there was anything but, you know, positives with Helga coming into the family. I think my mother felt that perhaps she was sharing her father's love, that, you know, uh, it was more, well, perhaps she got a little less, a bit less attention. 
uh, as the youngest of the the four girls, because there was the Auntie Nancy, who was the the daughter of the the brother who's, who died of cancer. Um, so perhaps there was a, a, a. I think the younger child perhaps feels they deserve more attention. I don't know. I don't know. But um, uh, my mother and Helga never got on as well as Pam and Helga got on. But there was a very, very strong bond between Helga, you mentioned, and um, Hervey. And um, she came to, to be with him when he was awarded the, the Most Noble Order of the Garter. Can you tell us about that special meeting? When my grandfather was dying, he had cancer and he knew that his time was very limited, but he pushed himself. He was 92. He had been a Knight of the Garter for some time. Uh, Helga came across and they had a very touching and special reunion. I hadn't realized, but subsequent photograph of Helga sitting on the arm of my grandfather's chair. He's a sort of withered old man, but he's sort of holding his hand contentedly. She's got her hand on his shoulder, and I think there's a great affection. And I did accompany my aunt. I took her to the airport after the garter ceremony. My grandfather sort of forced himself to go through with the garter ceremony. You know, you wear these great robes. It's usually a hot day. And afterwards, he was absolutely spent. But that was the time I had to take Helga to Heathrow to for her flight back. Uh, and it, it was very, it was a very moving parting because she knew she would never see him again. Um, and yet he had been to her, uh, you know, a sort of place of I am security from the moment she arrived, because her daughter, Michal, later wrote a sort of short story, and it, it told the story of a Jewish girl having to leave her home and turn up on a platform in Manchester, not knowing where she was going, but being greeted by this quiet man who just let her be herself, let her have her quiet moments, let her retreat into her moments of when she needed to be away from the world. And that was the approach my grandfather took with Helga. I think my grandmother was much more, we've got a busy household. They, they actually moved and took over some farmland during the war. Uh, they had to get up and milk the cows and, uh, you know, feed the horses. And they, they would even help collect the potato. My grandfather gave Helga a bit of space. And I think my mother and, and Pam were required to work very hard. But I think that shows his sensitivity to her situation and the fact that they understood each other very well. Adam, in terms of space, you your grandfather was also extremely sensitive to the fact that she was Jewish and never tried to impose any other religion upon her. Well, the family were stalwarts of the local church, Church of England church, and they would all sort of troop off and they went to this special pew because it was the widest pew. And Helga would go along as well. And in fact, one reason why I thought there was no... And think nothing unusual is that, you know, we would celebrate Christmas with Helga, with Christmas cards, etc. But my grandfather was sensitive to that. So as she grew older, he went to the Jewish community in Manchester and said, what shall I do to make sure that Helga is aware and is taught in the history of her heritage? Arranged for a rabbi to come to Saddleworth um, to actually give instruction to Helga. And Helga continued with that. She married a Jewish man, my uncle Donald. And when that marriage place in London, my grandfather was immensely proud to be under the canopy. Is it a chopper? 
<laughs> with Helga as, and I think he felt perhaps he had done something in his life. He, he, he was a man of many, many achievements, but he did say of all the achievements, being proud to have been a Lord Minister of State, a, a friend of the Queen's, um, a Knight of the Garter, topped all those proud moments was standing that moment with Helga as, in a way, he sort of handed her over into her marriage life, married life. It's so incredibly moving, Adam, and, and it sounds like you had a particularly close relationship with your grandfather as well. Um, we don't have much time, but your dominant memories of what I would call Lord Herbie Rhodes and you would call Gramps. I was very close to him. Um, we seemed to have the same interests. I mean, uh, of all the grandchildren, I would go and play chess with him or I would go to church with him. I would, when my grandmother wasn't ill, I would go and attend various official functions. It was quite strange that, uh, you know, the Lord Lieutenant of Lancashire would turn up to give the Queen's Award to industry with a 12-year-old a boy. <laughs> I, I, I was the one who would, you know, sit in the journeys with him. He would tootle up the M6 in a, a Mini. He, he drove a Mini. Uh, he, he was disabled all his life from the First World War. He was shot down in his aircraft. But my strongest memory of him is really, if you gave him a problem or something to deal with, he, he would immediately sort of say, what can we do about this? Who can I ring? Bring the phone to me. I'll see who I can ring. And even when he was dying, um, uh, an industrialist came to see him and said, Hervey, have you got any unfinished work? And he said immediately, yes, he could think of something. Uh, he felt that we needed to build bridges with China and he wanted to create a sponsorship for a Chinese conductor to learn conducting at the Royal Northern College of Music. And he said, yes, I'd like some, to raise some money to, to get Cho En Lai, who actually has been a principal conductor for, I think, the Durban Orchestra. En Shao is his name and get a sponsorship for Enshaw. And, uh, and this industrialist wrote him a check on the moment and that happened. And it was almost the last thing that he was able to arrange. So my enduring memory is he was a doer right to the very, very, very end of his life. Your relationship with Auntie Helga? Helga was a quiet aunt, I, I would say. Um, we went to stay with her in Australia. They went to the, they lived in uh, Canberra and they, uh, they went to the coast in the summer and we were able to uh, enjoy that. And I suppose my memory is more of my cousins because uh, she had three children, Michael, Gael and Jonathan. And I was the sort of same age as Michal. And um, I, I was a bit sweet on Michal and I think Michal was a bit sweet on me. Um, and we, we, I think we still have a, a bit of a, a sort of um, special relationship. So Auntie Helga was the mum, just as Auntie Pam was the mum of my, my American cousins. So it just seemed a very family relationship. Adam, you have put or are putting together your dad's recollections of the war and also his, his early memories of the Moor and being a miller. And it's called, um, let me just appear from nowhere, if anybody would like to read it or access it or learn a little bit more, what should they do? Wait. <laughs> I'm not retired. And in fact, I had some very interesting conversations with godson of my grandfather, who is also a writer, and he's uh, published a very successful book about 
uh, Frank Whittle, the inventor of the jet engine called Jetman. And we are working together now uh, on collating a biography of my grandfather. And I'm afraid I would give it two or three years before we were able to tell his remarkable story. Uh, just to give a sense of how remarkable he was. When he died and my mother had to deliver his garter insignia back to the Queen, before my mother was taken into the Queen, her private secretary, I think who's called uh, Sir William Heseltine, said to my mother, you know, your father was the only man who could ring up the Queen, Buckingham Palace, and say, I'm in London today, I'm free this afternoon, uh, if she can see me, then uh, I'll pop a glonk. And she would see him. I mean, uh, and her, per her personal secretary just couldn't believe that the Queen would make her available for this old man. And uh, she did that uh, very much towards the end of his life when he was trying to promote. She went to China, I think, in 1986, and my grandfather tried to help arrange that. But they got on very well. And I think, uh, I think the Queen had a, a bit of a soft spot for my grandfather as well. My granny always <laughs> say, oh, Grampy talks to the Queen like she's an old friend. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I did hear recently that a man said he, he was presented to the Queen about 10 years ago in a line, and he said he came from Sadworth, and the Queen said, well, you must know Lord Rhodes of Sadworth. And he said, yes, I know he's a great man. And the Queen called out to Philip and said, Philip, Philip, here's somebody who knows Lord Rhodes. Now, <laughs> I think that says a, a man who started life as a working class, working child in a mill, uh, he had a long list of achievements, but the proudest well, Adam, was was uh, was connected with Helga. Well, Adam, thank you so much for sharing his story and being my guest. Uh, it's a beautiful story, and you tell it really well. So, thank you. Thank you very much. It's been a privilege to be able to share his wonderful story. That was Adam Sutcliffe, who was talking about his grandfather, Lord Herbie Rhodes, who adopted a little girl, Helga, from the Kinder Transport.